So we have a new, a new sermon series. It's called 2020 Vision over the next four weeks. And so we're going to use this, this concept of 2020 Vision as we approach the year 2020. And if you didn't know anything about 2020 Vision, it's a term expressed for normal visual acuity. If you have 2020 Vision, you can see clearly at 20 feet what you should be able to see at that distance. Now, having 2020 Vision doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have perfect vision. Rather, 2020 vision only indicates the sharpness or clarity of vision at a distance. So, as we think of the church and who we are moving forward, and as we approach 2020, there are things that are the sharpness and clarity of what we're supposed to be going towards that we should know. Now, there's other parts that will change and adjust along the way, and some parts we might even mess up. But the vision that God has given to us as a church. That is what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. And I get to start it off with this first point of clarity in that we are the church to the neighborhoods. We are supposed to be the church to our neighborhood. If you're sitting on the aisle, will you take a moment, grab those basket of pens, pass them down, let everyone grab a pen, and then pull out your notes? I'm going to give you four main points today. And the first one comes from God, where he has called us and told us that we are sent. We are sent ones. We should know that we are sent by God. In John chapter 20, we see the disciples lock themselves in a room. And they're locked in this room because they're afraid that the Jewish leaders, after what happened with Christ, are now going to come and get them. And so they're in there scared. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears, which would have scared them again. So the first thing he says is, peace to you. And then he shows them the scars, shows them the scar on his side, kind of lets them know that this is really him. And he says this, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That is such a, a great phrase for us to understand about the Bible. God sent Jesus. Jesus was there with a message. And then Jesus sends the disciples and if you read through who a disciple is and what it's supposed to be, we are also disciples. So he is sending us in the same way as he is sending the disciples. We're sent on mission to tell this world about Jesus Christ. Now the word mission is what trips us up a lot of times. It comes from a Latin word meaning to send. So if you're on mission, you have been sent on mission. Avery Willis, he describes it this way, by mission... I mean the total redemptive purpose of God to establish his kingdom. Missions, on the other hand, is the activity of God's people, the church, to proclaim and to demonstrate the kingdom of God in the world. So a lot of times when we think of missionaries, we think of that crazy person who goes across the nation, wears weird clothes, learns a different language, and they always show you these pictures of them like eating bugs and stuff and doing crazy things. We have this concept of missionaries or that, that family that goes far, far away, and then we just read the newsletter every once in a while. That's what we get into our head. But the truth is, we need to do that. We need to send people across the nation, but we are also on mission as sent ones right here, right now. Think about the Bible. As you walk through the Bible, God sends Moses, God sends Elijah, God sends Jonah. Book after book after book, every one of them are sent. Sometimes it is far, but sometimes, most of the time, it's close. It's to a group of people that they know well. That's who they are sent to throughout the Bible. 
The ecclesia, which is the church, the body of believers that make up the church, has been sent on mission to reach this world. Spurgeon said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. See, what matters as we encounter God, as we have a relationship with Jesus, as the Holy Spirit dwells within us, what matters is will we stand before God and say, here I am, send me. Will we answer the same way that we see it answered throughout the Bible? The difference between the missionary in a foreign land and the Canyon Hills Friends Church member is not in your sentness. You've all been sent. It's only in the context and the way that you're supposed to pursue the life of mission where you live. Right here, right now. Jesus talks about building his church. He spoke of it in Matthew 16, Matthew 16 that he's going to build his church. But in Colossians 1.13, he tells us how he's going to build this church. It says this, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he lives. So what is he talking about here? Just like his son, we have, been, we have been transferred into the same kingdom, the same mission that his son did here. And just as the son spoke to the disciples, he's speaking to us that we have this sentness from God. Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The church is this network of ambassadors that have been sent by God. The church is this outpost in darkness. It's to share a message in the darkness. In the military, they would put outposts far away, all over the place, and they are representing the army. They're not the main force. They're not the main army, but they're these outposts that are all over the place that represent the army. Everything about them represents the army. They're out there showing who the army is, but they're not the main force. Just as God has sent his people all over the world, they're not, we're not the main force. The main force is coming. There's a time for that. But right now, we are in these outposts in areas of darkness to be sent ones sharing the message of Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of it over and over again. Another way it talks about it is ambassadors. We are in embassies. We're, we're representing our nation that is somewhere else. But we are representing it in everything we do, everything we say. We're there sharing and telling people about our nation, which is the nation of God. God enlists us to build relationship with the places and the people that we dwell in. He enlists us to serve and to tell the truths of the gospel when they're so often misconstrued. It's so often that you, it's like if a nation had their embassy here and they were sharing about what their nation's like, and we might have this idea of what it's like, but they're there to share, no, that's, that's not exactly right. You've heard it this way, but here's what it really is all about. That's what we do for God. In Acts 20, we see it. In Titus 2, we see it. Michael O expresses it this way. He describes it as missionaries are from everywhere to everywhere. All this talk all these sermons about the greatness of God will be nothing if we fail to understand that we are on mission and it should compel us to move forward in that mission. Matthew 28, 18, many people know it as the Great Commission. It goes like this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hold on to that right there. I am with you always to the end of the age because it gets difficult and sometimes we're a little scared. But he says, I am with you. I have sent you. You are on mission. You're here for a purpose. As we move into the second point, it's about scatter. God scatters us all over. It's so fascinating to think about the way he has scattered us into all of our neighborhoods, all different places, and we have been scattered by God. You can go back to the beginning of the Bible, and you'll see this ethno-linguistic sort of thread that kind of threads through it. It's really interesting. It starts in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is such a fascinating story because the people came together and said, we want to build this tower so that there's nothing that we can't do. They say it like this, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. That's where they messed up. That was the big mistake. They said that out loud. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the whole earth. Everything they're saying is opposite of what God has called us to. So the Lord responds, and you see it later down in this chapter, and it says, Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. And then later he says, And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. He did everything opposite of what they were trying to do. Because this time on earth is about understanding who God is and building a relationship with him. And everything that they were doing was what they were doing was about making a name for themselves and coming together and not realizing that their mission, Genesis chapter 11, their mission was to share the name of Jesus Christ if they knew what all that meant, to understand who God is, if you will at that point in history, to understand that this message of who he is is the greatest thing that people need to know. Instead, they were doing the opposite, so he scatters them, he confuses their language, and if you watch the Bible through, you think that the first time you see mission is with the Great Commission in Acts 28, but it's not. You actually see it, or Matthew 28, you see it all the way here in Genesis, then you see it with the Israelites as they travel and move and move, and continually God telling them, Reach this group, reach this group, share this message, keep going out. The prophets are telling that over and over this message of mission and sent ones is happening. And then he sends Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Travel from place to place, sharing this message. What do the disciples do? Travel from place to place, sharing this message. It's all mission of sent ones telling people about this incredible God that will change their life and that the most important thing in this world is this relationship that you can have with him over and over, all the way through the Bible. Isn't it fascinating that we are still being scattered and given the same message? Like, unless you just happen to live next to someone at Canyon Hills, you're probably the only one from this, this church in your neighborhood. And in your neighborhood, you have just been scattered around your Belinda. And we have this, this, this dream sometimes. What if Canyon Hills was just full of people and there was standing room only, like the thousand people coming on the weekend? how excited we would be about a thousand people. You would think that we were the greatest pastors in the world if we could possibly cause that kind of movement here at the church. But there's 68,000 people that live in your Belinda. If we were reaching just a thousand of them, that means we're reaching about 
0.014%. We're at less than 1%. And that's if we were reaching 1,000. We're not quite there. So think about that for a moment. So our goal is to reach 1%. Is that really going to be our goal as we live here? Now, I heard this, this quote, I've seen it actually in newspapers, that Yorba Linda is like the most conservative Christian city in all of Orange County. Like people move here because they like that. So how many churches are in Yorba Linda? Well, most people are like, well, there's a church on every corner. This is like the most churched area ever. So that must be how we're reaching 68,000 people. And I understand that not everyone's from Yorba Linda here. So throw your numbers in too, and that's even more people. And we're only reaching less than 1%. A few years ago, there was a census, and on the census it was asked, are you religious? Now that's very vague. Are you religious? That can mean so much, right? So all you need to do is check yes or no on are you religious? What do you think the number is for your Belinda, the most conservative Christian city in all of Orange County? It's high. It's 45%, but it's still less than half of 68,000. Like that's a high number. It's still are you religious? But it's still less than half of the people being reached here in this area. Okay. So we come from a Christian nation. We hear that all the time. The United States is a Christian nation. So let's look into this. In 2012, the last time we did a census, there were 384,000 churches. The average church at that time had 60 people. Now we've ran numbers since, and it's gone down and population's gone up. But even taking those numbers, 384,000 churches, 60 people attending them, you'll have 23 million people going to church. 23 million. That's pretty awesome, right? 23 million people going to church. And it's a great number unless you know how many people are actually in the United States. That number is 327 million people. So it comes down to about less than 1% going to church. Now I say that to say this. Just imagine for a moment that instead of, if it wasn't about going to church, and instead it was about being sent ones on mission. If we were following God's math of what it means to be sent ones, that means you're in your neighborhood. You're the one that's there. And you choose to say, God, here I am, send me. And you begin to reach your neighbors. And let's say you just reached 20. Sounds big, I know. But think of a family of five, four or five. That's about four families. And you get four families to come to your house and have dinner with you and have a relationship with. And you begin to build relationship. And maybe you have a Bible study. Or at least you're reaching out in some way and connecting with four families. Do you know how big that number would be if we were all doing mission? 460 million people would hear the message of Jesus Christ through those 23 million people following what God said. Be on mission as sent ones. 460 million is over 100 million more than we would actually need to reach everyone in the United States. So we'd get all the dogs and the cats and the fish. We'd be on it. See, God's math is always better than the way that we're trying to do things. God's math, if we're following his call, following his calling to go to the nations, 
that we are in the nations. When he says, I will praise you in Malachi and Psalm, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. It's not just Sunday morning, but among the nations, we're going to go out and praise his name. In Isaiah 2, he says, and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And verse 2 says, all nations will stream to it. When we're out, when we're out in these places, when we're bringing people to the mountain, when we're telling people about this message, and this is Isaiah, this is early in the Bible. What happens? All nations stream to it when we're following God's math and God's ways. Jesus said to the disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He tells them to go. He sends and scatters us around the world to tell this message. Which brings us to this third point in that the nations is the city. It is your city. It is where you live right now. Did you know in the United States, there's more ethnic diversity than anywhere else in the world. In fact, in North America, there are 584 unengaged and unreached people groups. If you're looking to find a group that has not heard the name of Jesus Christ, they're right next to you. There's 584 people groups near us that have not been reached with the message of Jesus Christ. It's so fascinating that we live in a nation where the world has come. And I know this is sort of political stuff that's happening right now, but it's so awesome that all the nations are here and we can reach them right now by going next door. I mean, they're living in our neighborhoods and that should be incredibly like powerful and awesome that, wow, we don't even have to travel. We should still do that. I'm not saying anything against missions. It's just it's few and far between the, between the people that can actually do that and us reaching people right now that are right next to us. We have an incredible, incredible time and living in a place where the unreached are next door. Do you ever go somewhere and you forget why you went there in the first place? The other day I went up to my daughter's room with something to say. I had something on my mind. And I knock, she lets me in, and I was like, I cannot remember. I have no idea what I came here to tell you. Like, it was super important, and it is gone. So I just said, well, I just want to let you know I love you, and I just left. It's gone forever. I, I still don't know what it was. But it was super important. And we do this with mission all the time with God. God has told us in every book what we're supposed to be doing. We are on mission. We are sent ones. And yet, many times, in whatever happens as we walk out these doors and we get into life, we forget that we are sent ones and scattered in the nations right now. And that's why we're here. That you were literally, you were put into that neighborhood. You need to believe this. You were put there at this time. You went through whatever you're going through for a purpose. And you have a reason why you live where you live, why you're in this city, why you're in this time, and why you have faced the things that you have faced. He put you and scattered all of us in these special places to share this message of who he is in Jesus Christ. I meet with people every week, and I'm always so fascinated because we get distracted as a church by peripheral issues 
And whenever we have visitors, I call and I visit with, and I try and, I try and meet with someone or some, a group of people every week. And every time I meet, and you, some of you know this, every time I meet with someone, I ask them, so tell me about the church, tell me uh, your questions, any sort of first impressions. And here's what's fascinating. Every single conversation is different. Now, I find that fascinating as someone as an outside observer going, man, to this group or this person, this is super important. But to this person, this is super important. But to this person, this is super important. It's all different parts of the church and how it's done. Some people really care about certain parts, and others are like, I don't really care about that part. But this, if you don't do this right, oh, we're going to move on. And so it's, it's just, I'm like, okay, no problem. And we work through that, and I give you the great answer that you need to hear at that point. But it's so fascinating that everyone has a different issue about the church when that's not really the purpose of why we're here. And that's not really our mission field. We should be getting stronger every time we're together, and this is important because we are discipling and helping each other get stronger, even with messages like this. But what you do in your neighborhood when you're on mission in the nations is what the Bible speaks of constantly. So are we doing this? Remember the words of Jesus. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on to you. Now here's what's, I think, scary for us. We're always sort of working on our own relationship with Jesus Christ and this relationship of understanding the Holy Spirit. And we're always sort of feeling like, ah, oh, I just don't, I don't feel it. I need to feel it. The truth of the Holy Spirit is it responds when we step out. So most people never get to this, which is like one step forward. Most people are sitting back going, I'm trying to feel what this relationship is supposed to be, and I'm trying to hear God, and I'm trying to connect with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, when you walk, I'm going to empower you. And when we talk about our neighbor, you're like, I can't talk to that person. First of all, I don't want it to be awkward. We're good with this, this high and this nod. We're good with that. I don't want to go over there and make it awkward. And God says, if you just take a step, I'm not telling you to go over there and knock on the door and begin witnessing over them and calling out the demons in their house and the way that their sprinklers hit my car. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying take this step, and then I will empower you with the rest. We'll figure the rest out. Something will happen. So whatever it looks like for you to step out, he tells us you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. I told you to grab the last part of our Great Commission because in that Great Commission, he tells us, and I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. But you got to take this step. And so many don't take that step. And so they never really understand what it means to have God with you. We're always sort of reading and praying and, and trying to figure it out when he says, take the step and you'll understand what it means for me to be with you. Let's finish on this point for what does your way forward look like? So in, in Genesis chapter 11, on this Tower of Babel, they said, let us make a name for ourselves. We live in a world that's doing exactly that. And it's so easy for us to fall into the same thing. Let us make a name for ourselves. How often do you hear that? I want to have a legacy here. I want to leave a legacy for my kids. I, it's all about a name for ourselves. And he speaks quite the opposite, and that's Genesis. 
And Luke, I think another story fits well with how we have to move in this life. It's the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. If you don't know the story, a man's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked by robbers. They strip him. They beat him. They take everything from him. A priest walks by and does nothing. A Levite walks by and does nothing. And then a Samaritan sees this man hurting, helps him, takes him to an inn, pays for it, tells the inn that any extra cost that comes, I'll be back in a few days and I'll take care of it. Now, to understand this story is to understand the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Because the story is like a good story until you realize who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Jews, and they hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans are the lowest of the low. Like, they, they, their story would be so shocking. They would have been like, wait, what? Like, ooh. They, that's, they would have said, ooh, which would have been a weird conversation for them to do. But it would have been something weird for them. Like, how can you say this? And I was trying to think, how can we illustrate this to our setting? Because I think everyone in here loves everyone. So how can we think of a people group that we would say ooh to, which you shouldn't, so I don't want you to think that way. But I was like, all right, I want this to hit. How could it hit? And my, what came to my head, this may be a bad example, but I thought, think of that Samaritan as a terrorist. Terrorist is not a people group, but somehow think of a guy with a backpack and a bomb in it, and he's like, he's the third guy that comes along. So a pastor walks by and does nothing, a politician walks by and does nothing, and that might not sound that, you know, that might sound normal, but the Levite, the politician should have been someone that cared for this person, and they don't. And then a terrorist with a backpack walks by and goes, oh man, this guy's hurting, and he helps him. And not only does he help him, but he takes him to an inn, takes care of everything in there, and you're like, wait, why would he do that if he's going to go kill other people? And you're like, yes, it doesn't make any sense that this person would be the one that stops and helps. Or in our neighborhood, a terrorist comes in, which again, it's a weird analogy. I know it's weird. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out one that might work. Walks in, goes to your neighbor, cares for your neighbor, has a relationship with them, bonds with them, loves them, while we do nothing in our homes. And we look over and we're like, that terrorist is over there meeting my neighbors and being a friend, and they're out playing baseball together, and I'm here doing nothing. Now you understand the story. It doesn't make sense to them because they're like, how could they do that and we did nothing? And Jesus is like, yes, now you get it. How can we sit there and do nothing and then they do that? How can we sit in our homes and not know our neighbors' names? How can we not care? How can we not know when something horrible has happened to our neighbor? How can that possibly be and now the story makes sense. And that's what he's saying to us. So if we're going to come to him and say, here I am, send me. He did. He sent us to the nations. If we're going to say, here I am, send me. He scattered us among the neighborhoods. Here I am, send me. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If we're going to take it serious, if we're going to have this 2020 vision, it's going to be a vision to our neighbors that we're going to love and care and reach out even when it's awkward, even when it's weird. We want the safety of just not having an awkward relationship with our neighbors. I get it. But will we step up and say, no, you sent me. 
Here I am, send me, you did. So what will that look like? How will we reach the widow, the orphan, the least of these? How will we care beyond the normal for people? How will we keep our eyes open daily to see people in need and care for them? How will we see our city and care for it? We need churches full of people, the ecclesia, the body of the church, that are living out this sent calling. What is those action steps that we're going to take to do that? The bottom of your notes, there's a couple lines there. Begin to write that down. Begin to write down how this is going to look in your life. How will I actually do this? In fact, this morning, I'm going to push you a little further and have you get into groups of four and five so we can begin praying about this. We need to be praying through this. So as the band comes back up, I want you to think right now, what am I going to do? And then in your group of four or five, as you're praying, I want each of you to say what it is you're going to do. I know how difficult that is. I understand. But don't let anybody off the hook in your little group. Nobody gets out without saying that one thing they're going to do. What does that look like this week? What does that look like today? What are you going to do? So as you get into these groups, I want you to first introduce yourself, your name, so you know who you're actually talking to. And then I want you to say that one thing you're going to do. And then pick someone in the group just to pray and just pray over everyone in that group and then join into this song. So everyone stand up. Nobody gets off the hook. No one runs out. Everyone stand up. Get in groups of four or five based on where you're sitting. Introduce yourselves. I'm going to walk you through this. What's going to happen? Don't fight it.